to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, here as always with my distinguished co-host, Jeff Simmons. Hi, Jeff. How's it going today? How are you holding up with the air quality? It's interesting you ask that because, you know, I am not a hypochondriac, but I, ha- I think I've had some of the symptoms, the itchy eyes, the, you know, uh, the itchy eyes, a dry cough a little. And as much as I would want to stay indoors as much as possible, it's a little difficult to do that, as you know as well, when you have pets that need to go outside. Exactly. And I have to say, as somebody who has allergies and actually has asthma, too, I have been noticing it a little bit. I thought, oh, maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe I'm watching too much of this on the news. But I, I don't have any other way to explain this. It's it's not pleasant, Jeff, but I hope you feel better. I'm, we're all pulling for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are pulling for the mayor right now because you think about it. He's come under a lot of fire on some issues that one that we're going to talk about. I know you'll bring up in just a moment, but also about the city's response here that the city did not take as much uh, proactive measures to alert people and inform people. And it seemed very reactive. Exactly, exactly right, Jeff. We are going to be talking today about something that the city has really been struggling with. And that, of course, is the plight of the thousands upon thousands of immigrants, of asylum seekers who have come into New York this year. Now, according to some of the most recent figures, more than 72,000 asylum seekers have come into the city's intake system since last spring, with more than 45,000 still receiving help, such as housing and other services. New York has been struggling intensely to cope with the sheer number of people flocking to the city. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Democratic House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries have also announced that FEMA is sending more than $104 million in funding to help New York care for the migrants. But is that the answer? Is that the whole answer? Of course, just on Wednesday, the city went to court to sue 30 counties, towns, and public officials for using what New York calls, quote, xenophobic executive orders to keep immigrants out. This comes partly in reaction to the overwhelmed city busing some migrants to hotels outside its bounds. Public officials in some of those counties say they can't physically or financially handle a wave of newcomers. Others have cited concerns about potential increases in crime. And what's been so fascinating is to watch the city kind of roll out opportunities or options that they've considered. I mean, this week, the mayor uh, rolled out another measure to deal with this flow of immigrants, basically saying we're going to house nearly a thousand migrant men in churches, synagogues and mosques as part of a two year deal with the faith-based volunteer organization, New York Disaster Interfaith Services. The mayor actually, Celeste, also had talked at one point about even possibly housing people at Gracie Mansion. But this plan that we're uh, talking about with uh, houses of worship would be spread across about 50 houses of worship, with each one accommodating up to 19 single men. And it would cost, I mean, we're always wondering about the cost, cost about $125 per person. Five houses of worship would also serve as hospitality centers where migrants can get showers and a hot lunch. And all of this comes this amid a new survey of migrants by the group Make the Road New York, which shows that a large number of people 
are struggling to afford lawyers, housing, health care, and food. Now, while advocacy groups say the city is not doing enough to help, the administration and the state are pushing back. They say they're investing millions of dollars to assist the asylum seekers. We're going to be talking much more about all these things regarding immigration this hour. But first, we do want to take just a moment to remind you that WBAI can only bring you this kind of critical public policy programming with your help. Please take a moment today to go to WBAI.org, open your heart, do your part to support this station through the BAI Buddies program. Please remember that because WBAI is listening, Listener-supported, non-commercial, free speech radio. This station doesn't exist unless you step up. If you're listening to this program, you care about New York. You care about free speech. You care about not letting corporate voices be the only voices on our airwaves. So if you enjoy WBAI's programs on politics, public policy, news, culture, arts, and music, help us stay on the air. Become a BAI buddy in the name of Driving Forces today. Just go to WBAI.org and sign up. It's very easy, and when you become a BAI buddy, you make a recurring monthly donation in any amount you choose. Give $20 a month, $50 a month, whatever is comfortable for you. WBAI really needs you to take a stand for independent media in New York. We really have lots of good thank you gifts that you can choose from. Where are they? Well, just go to WBAI.org and click on the green button. And as Celeste says, you can give any amount, $15 a month, $25, $50, $100. It really is up to you. And every dollar you give in the name of this show, Driving Forces, or any show, helps to keep us going. That is WBAI.org. Please don't wait. We need everyone to step up. And in advance, for those of you who are going to do that, we thank you. Celeste and I thank you so much for your support because we really can use your help. And that brings us right to our first of our two guests today. Gwen Hogan is an award-winning reporter who covers Brooklyn for the nonprofit newsroom TheCity.NYC, one of our favorite outlets here on Driving Forces. She was previously a reporter at WNYC Gothamist and also at DNA Info New York. And we asked her to join us here today because of her great reporting for the city on the current immigration situation, work that is much informed by her Spanish language skills. Without further ado, Gwen Hogan, welcome to WBAI. Hey, thanks for having me. So I just want to start off very, very broadly. What is it like doing all this reporting and great work, by the way, on how the city is handling or trying to handle this migrant crisis? Are you getting cooperation from government, from the Adams administration in your reporting? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. There's like a lot happening at once. Um, there is sort of official lines of communication. Uh, they've started to do weekly briefings uh, in the past month that gives us sort of an update on the numbers. Um, but there are, we're sort of missing a lot of specifics from the official response. And so in the absence of that, we have been getting updates from, you know, all different kinds of sources, whether it's, you know, a parent group around the school gymnasium that learns that migrants are supposed to perhaps move into their gym um, or officials within the administration who are frustrated with how the communi communication is playing out. So we sort of hear one thing from the administration and then kind of lots of on the ground information from, from other sources. It's been kind of piecing that together as it, as it always was, is with a crisis. Gwen, it's great to have you on the on the show. And as a personal aside, I do miss DNA info very, very much. I miss <laughs> DNA info. All right. So, 
<laughs> Katie Honan did not put me up to that. Anyway, you have interviewed many migrants who are here seeking asylum. What are they telling you about their experiences and how they've been treated in the city? It's all, you know, it runs the gamut, right? And this is not something that happened yesterday. And the people that are arriving in the past month have differing experiences from those who arrived a little bit earlier in the latest wave of migration over the past year. Um, you know, some of the, there are migrant families who I've been talking to who have been staying in hotels like the Stewart or the Row for a number of months. Um, things there are not perfect, you know, they're, they can't cook, right, or have any guests over, which is similar for all kinds of city shelters, obviously, not just migrants. Um, but, you know, there is some level of stability and their kids are going to schools in Midtown, which are some of the best schools in the city. Um, so there's sort of, you know, I think it's not a perfect situation, but in by a lot of accounts, things are okay um, or going as well as they could hope for in some situations. And like, and then there's new arrivals who, you know, we sort of have this backlog now and the city is sort of scrambling to find places to put people and this tends to fall on single adults or coupled adults. Um, the city's been really trying to make sure that families can stay in their own private space. It's, you know, it's sort of long-standing protocol and state regulations that, that guarantee that because children are so vulnerable in congregate spaces. Although there has been reporting, uh, my colleagues at the Daily News reported how that was not in, in compliance at the police academy. There had been children staying there. Um, but a lot of the single adults arriving now are in, you know, gymnasiums or church basements or, you know, some are being sent to a, a hangar or not a warehouse at JFK. And that is really difficult, right? Your, your cot is touching a stranger's cot. Um, you are given like a little packaged in airplane blanket. And that's, you know, there, there are meals on site, but most, some of these facilities don't have showers. So you are walking seven or eight blocks away to the nearest rec center or, or public pool that they have opened up for you to shower. And that's, you know, difficult. Um, and I think across the board, folks that I talk to are very grateful for the accommodation because, as you know, you've probably read at this point, you know, the journey to get here is really horrible and there's all different kinds of places that you sleep including like in the jungle and on the ground and perhaps you were captured by cartels along the way or you had to sleep on the streets of El Paso or in like a gigantic gymnasium in Denver um so they've ha they've been through so much at this point that people are very grateful for whatever accommodations they're offered but but certainly it is less than ideal we're talking to Gwen Hogan. She is a reporter for the nonprofit newsroom, The City. And Gwen, before we talk more about the accommodations and where people are staying, because I do want to talk to that, let's just stay on this a little bit longer, because I do think it's important to talk about the people as much as we talk about the process. And you've had a chance to speak at length with so many people who have so many different stories. Can you just tell us a little bit more about who who are these people, you know, that you've that you've been able to learn about and what are some of their stories what is it that spurred them to seek asylum to come to new york yeah i mean i would say you know sort of going back several months i talked to a lot of venezuelan families but actually and and then that sort of started to change i would say towards the end of the fall 
I, I spoke to, you know, West Africans who had fled Senegal. Um, and then this latest wave, you know, I've spoken to more Mauritanians than I ever had. Um, there's a, a, a respite center on my block and like there's a ton of Mauritanian guys. And they'll tell you stories of, you know, they were organizing, they were involved in organizing against the government there. They were fighting against slavery. Their friends started to be disappeared into prisons and they got out of there as fast as they could. Um, there are, you know, different, you know, folks from a gentleman I spoke to from Colombia recently had scars from where he was attacked with a machete by um, sort of uh, he, they had sort of marked him and attacked him with a machete, guerrilla warriors, and he had to get out. Um, so there's, you know, there's a, an array of concerns. Of, uh, obviously, there's a lot of economic concerns. Folks from Venezuela and Colombia coming who cannot make ends meet. They cannot feed their families. There's a lot of complaints about gangs, about, like, you know, trying to getting blocked when you're trying to get basic items like food or gas and sort of like a deteriorating economy that makes it impossible for you to imagine like raising your kids there um, or or having a life there of any kind, um, which is, you know, a big motivator as well. So it's sort of a whole array. Everybody's story is different, um, but there are obviously a lot of similarities of just like I thought that I could have a future um, in the United States. If you just tuned in, this is Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. We're talking with Gwyn Hogan, an award-winning reporter who covers Brooklyn for the nonprofit newsroom, The City. Uh, and we're opening up the phone lines. If you'd like to call in with a question, please give us a call at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Gwyn, I had read that... Uh, an announcement came out, I believe it was out of Washington, D.C. yesterday, that the city is going to get about $105 million more uh, in uh, federal grant funding to support its handling of local asylum seekers. But how much of this, you know, given the squabbling between the city, the state and the federal government, how much of this was predictable and preventable with better planning and budgeting? That is such a difficult question. <laughs> and like, you know, I love to report on this, but being with the shoe on the other foot who knows you know <laughs> i think like i think it's you know like migration has seasons right like if you look at the graph of border crossings going back decades it goes up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and then when covid happened it totally bottomed out for like a long time historic lows and then you know like in some ways obviously there's been some destabilization in different areas venezuela in particular but as the border starts to reopen and people start to migrate again, we see sort of this overcorrection, the way we've seen in all different types of economic activity, like inflation, right? And so I think in some ways, like as that is like we're seeing sort of the, the market restoring itself with all these folks like who weren't able to cross for all this time now trying to cross now. Um, could we have predicted it? You know, I do think the folks that I'm starting to talk about are like, okay, we've been at this for a year now. What is the end game? And that is, that's the question that I don't think, and there's not one answer to. 
but you sort of need a combination of things to start to walk away from this crisis mentality that we're in now. And we have started to see the level of migrants newly arriving in New York City level off. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of very breathless coverage around the expiration of Title 42, but we ended up seeing the big spike actually right before it because a lot of people were like, oh, I know what the rules are, like, let me cross now, as opposed to who knows what it's going to be like when the rules change. Mm-hmm. Um, so we may have been perhaps preparing for a surge after, but ours actually came before and then like the week after. Um, that's certainly struck officials. It so, seems to have taken them by surprise, right? Which is why that you had children sleeping in a gym. If you're Sorry, listening, you ask you, a question. And if you're listening, you can give us a call at 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. One thing that's been interesting to me is, you know, uh, in certain crises, you see, and I was watching this on uh, a, a station, I think it was New York One last night, you had commissioners who were doing live interviews. Here we hear the mayor, we see the mayor more than even the head of the Office of Immigrant Affairs. And I feel, and I'm wondering, have you noticed, you know, it, or, you know, the commissioner or that you know, entity, are they being kind of pushed aside? Have they been actively involved? Have they had missteps in this? Because I'm seeing the mayor out there, but not the commissioner. Well, Moya, I don't know how, I think Moya was sort of involved earlier on. I don't know what resources they have to actually be sort of running point on something like this. We have seen like the Office of Emergency Management is very involved at this point. Obviously, Health and Hospitals is very involved. Um, they're overseeing some of these emergency sites. And those officials have been brought before press at a couple of these briefings sort of on a rotating basis. And we've seen the Commissioner um, Ann Williams, I assume, the, com- the Deputy com- uh, Assistant Deputy Commissioner of Social Services as well. And she's mm-hmm. sort of sort of overseeing that. So I, I would say that they have kind of been separately. To me, it's strange that the mayor isn't also at those briefings. <laughs> He's sort of like, we'll take an off-topic question about it, but like would rather not have the full conversation with his officials next to him. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's another question I have. Um, but they're certainly involved uh, managing the situation. We're talking with Gwyn Hogan, a reporter for the nonprofit newsroom, The City. Our topic today specifically is immigration and asylum seekers. We do have a caller holding. We're going to go to the phones right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? And what is your brief question for Gwyn Hogan? Hi, this is Jimmy from Asbury Park, Jersey Shore. Um, does your guest uh, understand that most of these um, immigrants, are uh, conservative at their core. They're anti-abortion. They're anti-LGBTQ. Uh, they um, don't don't believe in progressive progressivism. Uh, so I mean, do do progressives and liberals who are uh, fomenting this this uh, thing realize that uh, these people they they don't believe in multicultural. So, you know, what's your reaction to that? Okay, thank you. Thank you for your call. Appreciate that. Uh, Sorry, breaking up a little bit at the end. Okay, Gwen, I'm not sure that uh, particular political beliefs are. Yeah, no, there's an array of opinions. I would say I've also met like LGBTQ asylum seekers who were not able to live productive lives in their 
South American countries because of discrimination that they faced. So it's, it's I mean, you know, there's definitely conservatives. Um, there's there's an array of opinions. Um, but I think that's sort of a little bit separate from the actual sort of crisis that they're facing when they flee their countries. And we are, uh, we have only a few minutes, although we could certainly talk about this for more than the whole hour and appreciate you taking the calls, but wanted to ask you, there, there's a bunch of things that are bubbling up, including this lawsuit that we mentioned uh, a little bit earlier in the program with the city suing, uh, these, uh, 30 counties and public officials outside the city about these, um, uh, restrictions that they're pro- trying to put in to keep asylum seekers out of uh, their municipalities. Where do you see that going, or, or what do you think is going to happen there? I'm not a legal scholar. Um, Me neither. Think, so, <laughs> so I think we'll sort of have. I mean, it's there's so many different levels of lawsuits right now. So there was like a federal judge who was like, the counties have no right to do this. However, I defer to the state judges because that's the jurisdiction and the state judges have granted a TR, a temporary restraining order to certain counties. Um, so there's, there's the, the lawsuits on the one hand and then the city's sort of countersuit to try to uh, overturn, get those things overturned. I think, you know, it's going to be following the dockets endlessly. And I think it will be interesting. You know, I don't really understand what the legal argument is to say that, you can't book a hotel room for a certain kind of person. It does seem like you might, you know, the, the, these people are, they have, they have sought asylum at the border. They are here legally, right? There, there are processes in our immigration system that allow for this type of entry. They're not illegal. Um, so they have a, a right, as any person has a right, to rent a hotel room. It's also interesting because the city is going to be paying, my understanding, the city is paying for the hotel rooms. They're not saying, Rockland County, you have to pay for this. Um, so, it, you know, it'll be something to watch for sure um, as it plays out. I'm glad you differentiated because that was something I was not aware of as far as who foots the bill. Gwen, I know we're going to have to wrap up. Um, so briefly, what else are you going to be looking at? For And then at the very end, I'd love for you to tell people where they can go to uh, see more of your reporting. But in the coming days, what are some of the issues you're going to be exploring on this? I think the real question is how do we back away from this sort of crisis now that we've seen the immediate numbers begin to level off? Like, and I had mentioned it a little earlier, but like, what is the end game here? A lot of people are talking about, you know, we have to be doing more emphasis on getting people into permanent housing. What does that look like when a lot of people, you know, aren't able to qualify for the subsidies that you would need in order to get people into housing? What does that look like with, you know, questions about affordable housing plan on the state level and like a real difficulty of affordable housing generally in New York City because I think you know how long are people going to be on cops in all the in gyms and basements like I think that sort of the duration of this emergency mentality and figuring out how the city will walk back from this is is what I'm really going to be looking for and where should people go if they want to check out your stories TheCity.NYC. Uh, I should have something up tomorrow, and if not, it'll be on Monday. <laughs> Gwen Hogan, I want to thank you so much for appearing here with me and Celeste Katz on Driving Forces today. Thanks very much. 
You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. I am Celeste Katz Marston here as always with Jeff Simmons. And a very, very quick reminder as we take on these important issues today, if you care about New York, if it means something to you to have a radio station that talks about real problems like this, how to make this city a better place, how to take on these tough issues, please take a moment today, go to WBAI.org and lend your support. And I'm just going to amplify that just a bit. We bring this up on every show because it's important to us, because we are supported by listeners. You support us. We're not supported by big corporations. But we also want to make it worth your while, too, when you donate to WBAI. So Celeste and I and many of the hosts here will line up gifts for you that you could find on the WBAI website. So if you go to WBAI.org, you'll be able to see a number of these gifts. We call them premiums. There's books, there's show tickets, there's audio uh, clips. There's so much more. I mean, when you contribute, you also will get a thank you gift. You know, you're not buying a book or a tote bag or a t-shirt. You're getting these gifts often because you're donating to support independent community media. That gift is just the cherry on top. So you are the driving force behind driving forces. You have been the driving force behind this station for more than 60 years. So please take a few moments, go to WBAI.org today, become a BAI buddy. Don't let corporate media become New York's only choice for radio. Please go to WBAI.org and keep this station going. Thank you for your help. Today here on Driving Forces, we are talking about immigration and asylum seekers and how New York is handling them or not handling them, which brings us right to our next guest. David Giffen is the executive director of the Coalition for the Homeless and has been working with the organization since 1988. Now, the coalition has had a lot to say about the current crisis with asylum seekers and how that fits into the overall picture when it comes to homelessness, social services and the responsibility of government. So, David, thank you so much for joining us here today on WBAI. Thank you. Thank you, Swift. So just to start, take just a, a second here to tell everybody about what exactly your group does and how that relates to the migrant discussion, the asylum seeker discussion we're having today. Does your group differentiate between people who might be experiencing homelessness if they're U.S. citizens or immigrants? And, and how are you finding that their needs are different or similar? It, uh, the Coalition for the Homeless um, brought the litigation 42 years ago that established the legal right to shelter in New York City. Um, we are today the court-appointed monitor of the shelter system for single adults and the city-appointed monitor of the shelter system for homeless families. Um, the right to shelter is not contingent on uh, uh, immigration status, so that right to shelter applies to everybody. So anybody who is homeless... Anybody who needs a place to stay for the night should be guaranteed placement in a safe, appropriate, and accessible bed. And David, thank you so much for joining us. In fact, the Coalition for the Homeless was one of the first organizations back when Mary Brosnahan was leading it that I met when I first came to New York City quite some time ago. Very respectable organization. Uh, the coalition had tweeted something on Wednesday that puts this issue in even more of a breaking news perspective. The group wrote, quote, another reason why the right to shelter is critical. Having a place to go to get away from the smoke can be life saving for our most vulnerable homeless neighbors, many of whom suffer from respiratory illnesses. Have you been hearing a lot from your clients about this? Well, we hear a lot from our clients about this every day, and, and we always have. 
you know, the the right to shelter was established in acknowledgement of the danger to human beings of not having a place to stay, of having to sleep out in a public space. Um, and yet, you know, every winter a few people die from exposure to the elements, and we have to push hard on the city to find places for people to go. Um, you know, periodically people are attacked and sometimes killed when they're sleeping on the streets, and we have to push the city hard to create more safe places for people to go. During the pandemic, people were sleeping out exposed to the virus. They didn't have access to, uh, you know, places to wash their hands or get PPE, or they couldn't um, practice social distancing. We had to push and then at times bring legal action against the city to put people um, indoors in appropriate places. And, you know, today we have uh, toxic air coming down from Canada that are putting people in danger. And, uh, you know, how many different things have to happen um, for us to just accept the fact that it's dangerous to sleep outside? Nobody should have to sleep out on the streets. Everybody deserves a safe place to sleep every single night. David Giffen is executive director of the Coalition for the Homeless. And David, you've been kind enough to say that you will take a few calls from our listeners. We're going to open up the lines as we continue this conversation. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. And David, I want to ask you sort of a the super difficult question, I think maybe the question, you know, a lot of people have been saying, look, it's one thing to say that New York should promise everybody the right to shelter. And I understand that you you filed that suit and that's been enshrined into law. But what do you say to people who want to sort of go negative on that statement, who say, look, New York City is having enough trouble as it is dealing with people who are homeless uh in our own city, people who are, are from here, who have been here for a long time and have come to be in a situation where they are homeless. Why should we be expending all this time, effort, money, space, resources for people who are coming here from a different country? Where, where does it end? How do you sort of address that issue? Well, just from a practical standpoint, what, what is the alternative? I mean, people have always come to New York City from all over the world. That's why this city is here in the first place. And people need a place to stay. You know, people are going to continue coming to New York City. If we don't have a right to shelter, we'll end up with thousands of people sleeping outside, sleeping in shanties and tents and cardboard boxes. I don't think anybody wants to see that. So we have a moral obligation, even apart from the legal obligation, to find a place for people to stay at night. And you're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. Our topic today is immigration, asylum seekers, and New York. Our guest right now is David Giffen of the Coalition for the Homeless. The phones are open 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. And David, going back to what you said there, it is interesting that other cities who do not offer, and I think the coalition has made this point, cities that do not offer a right to shelter are the cities where we do see these very large encampments. If you think about, uh, you know, there are lots of different places where you have these sort of mass congregations. I know Boston, for example, has a, a notorious area called Mass and Cass, which is uh, 10 encampments, uh, uh, open air drug trade, that sort of thing. Uh, is that is that what one of the things that you're talking about here? That's exactly what I'm talking about. We do see it in places like Boston and L.A. and San Francisco and other cities. And, you know, that 
that's not the solution that we want here. Now, I, I'm not suggesting that shelters are the answer to the crisis. The answer to the crisis is to create affordable housing. People shouldn't have to live in, in shelters and they shouldn't have to sleep on the streets. But until we have enough housing for everybody who needs it, we need some place for people to stay where they're safe and out of the elements. And we've got a caller on the line. And for those of you who are listening who do want to call, the number to call is 212-209-2877. Again, that's 212-209-2877. We're talking with David Giffen, Executive Director of the Coalition for the Homeless. So let's bring on that first call. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What is your name? Where are you from? And what is your brief question for David or your point that you want to raise? I'm in Manhattan. I'm Bill. Listen, most of our homeless are black. This is not like 30 years ago. And the black community is totally enraged right now. If you look at Chicago, they're enraged. And not only are we seeing all these black YouTubers popping up enraged, but every comment underneath is black people saying Trump, Trump, Trump. So just like Jimmy, the first caller, said, the left should be very careful because blacks are really angry about this, guys. It's, it, and here's the thing. If these homeless were white, we wouldn't be marching 400 mm-hmm. immigrants into a hotel at the Roosevelt Hotel, four-star hotel room, past the homeless black women downstairs that Curtis Lewa has a, has a video of interviewing them. Regina Smith is the woman speaking. You can look up the video with Curtis. Mm-hmm. The other black woman has lost her mind, and she's screaming hysterically. So- okay. Well, th- thank you on that. I'm David, I don't know if you want to address any of those points, but I do know that you know when it comes to issues of homelessness, the numbers are very disproportionate in terms of you know, uh, age, uh, ethnicity, race, you know, family structure. You know, I don't know if you want to respond to any of that comment. No, sure. You know, more than 80% of those in the shelter system are, are people of color. And so people of color are disproportionately represented uh, in the homeless community and disproportionately impacted by the lack of affordable housing. It is unquestionably an issue of racial justice. Um, and and no doubt, uh, you know, I, I agree with what the caller had said that if this had been a problem affecting uh, uh, primarily white people, there would be a different political response to it. But um, even beyond race, the I think our society has done a very uh, sort of nefariously effective job of treating homeless people like they are something other than our neighbors. And in that way, we've absolved ourselves of the responsibility of trying to solve the problem. You know, we, we, we have, as a country, we blame homelessness on the homeless rather than on the failed systems that have perpetuated this uh, crisis now for, for going on five decades. And I'm very glad you mentioned that as you're speaking, you know, right in front of me is Matthew Desmond's book, Poverty by America. And he hits a lot of those points as well that you just raised. Very important. I think that many people see someone on the street. They see homelessness as the people they see on the mass, on mass transit or on the street, but they don't recognize that a lot of the people who are in the shelters have been displaced from their homes that they're living in. They're hopefully temporarily in a shelter with their kids, that they're single parents, that there's another whole face of homelessness. It's not just the person on the street that they see. Can you put that in perspective for our listeners? Because I really want people to know, you know, what the portrait of homelessness is. Sure. Well, you know, for for every person you see on the streets, um, there are 10 times that many people who are in the shelter system who you don't see. And yes, those who are sleeping unsheltered tend to be single adults. And there is very um, 
high rates of uh, psychiatric and physical disabilities in that population. And so that is what colors the general public's perception of the issue. But the shelter system, you know, tonight there's, you know, close to 82,000 people sleeping in the shelter system, and two-thirds of those in the system are families. That's mostly women and kids, you know, moms and their kids. And so the, the image that we have of the demographic is very skewed to who we just see on the streets. Of those in that system, you know, about 30% of the families in the shelter system have jobs, they're working, and they just can't afford housing in New York City. So again, that's underscoring that this is not an issue of, of personal pathology of people's failings. This is an issue simply of housing affordability. And even for those that have you know, physical and psychiatric disabilities, that doesn't mean that they should be homeless. People with psychiatric and physical disabilities, people with substance use issues, are housed all over the city, but there are people that just can't afford housing, and so they're sleeping on the streets and they're sleeping on shelters where it's next to impossible to effectively address those issues. We're talking to David Giffen. He's the executive director of the Coalition for the Homeless. David, I know the coalition has had a few things to say, certainly about the government response to uh, this wave of asylum seekers. Uh, you made a comment the other day about the city's lawsuit against these 30 counties that are trying to keep asylum seekers out. Uh, and you called that xenophobic and racist rhetoric coming into play there uh, in that attempt to keep people out. But you also said Governor Kathy Hochul, for one, uh, it needs to step up here. Talk a little bit about what more the state particularly needs to be doing, and then we can come back to Mayor Adams. Well, uh, you know, it's hard to think of how much less, what, what they could be doing less than what they're doing now. Um, the state, you know, the governor could have issued an executive order that precluded any of the counties from putting out their, their individual executive orders that were aimed specifically at keeping people from a different country from coming into their communities, which is illegal and unconstitutional on many levels. Um, but now, you know, the, the governor didn't want to address this and was leaving it to the city to, to bring this to the courts. But even beyond that, you know, this is um, uh, immigration is a national issue. Um, I don't think any of us realistically are expecting an effective response from our federal government at this point. But why is it just on New York City's lap to deal with this. The governor should have been stepping in from day one and coordinating efforts. We've had thousands, tens of thousands of people arriving, and New York City is the arrival point. But New York City just physically doesn't have enough uh, places to put people in if you know they're coming in at this rate. There are a lot of facilities around New York State there's personnel that the state could be providing. There's funds that the state could be providing. The state could be um, uh, providing rental vouchers to more New Yorkers who are in shelters to help them move out of shelters and into permanent housing, thus freeing up capacity in the shelter system for the incoming asylum seekers. But uh, the state has really been playing a, a minor role in this when they should have been taking a leadership role from day one. 
And lastly, David, before we have to unfortunately let you go for uh, for this segment, um, you know, we've already heard the mayor and others talking about limiting the city's promise of a right to shelter, uh, scaling that back. So if that rollback continues or if it ramps up, what do you what do the coalition predict we will see in New York City as a result? Well, uh, again, as, as I said earlier, it's, there's no question what you'll see. You will see uh, tent encampments and shanty communities popping up all over the city. People are coming to New York City and they need a place to be. And if we don't have a right to shelter, they're going to end up on the streets. Uh, eliminating the right to shelter, weakening the right to shelter is not the answer here. Finding a way to place people into safe, appropriate, and accessible uh, beds and rooms is the answer, and that can be done if we're handling it properly, if we're helping homeless New Yorkers to move out of shelters and into housing, and if we have the full cooperation and partnership of the state. But eliminating the right to shelter would be catastrophic for New York City. David, if people want to find out more about you and your work at the Coalition for the Homeless, where can we send them? Uh, coalitionforthehomeless.org. Perfect. David Giffen, thank you so much for joining us here today on Driving Forces. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. We're talking about immigration and asylum seekers in New York today. The phone lines are now open again. Call in 212-209-2877 is the number. That's 212-209-2877. How do you think New York is handling this crisis? Do you have a better idea than maybe any of the ones that we've discussed today about how to deal with this? Are you or someone you know affected by what? What's going on? Should New York abandon the promise of a right to shelter for any reason? 212-209-2877 is the number to call. We will be back to hear from you in just a moment. Remember, this is a great time to go to WBAI.org and become a BAI buddy in the name of this show, Driving Forces. That is WBAI.org. Start calling in now. You can also call in and tell us what you love about WBAI. We are always glad to get those calls. 212-209-2877. We'll be right back. This land is your land, and this land is my land. California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. As I went a-walking that ribbon of highway, and I saw above me that endless skyway, I saw below me that golden valley this land was made for you and me I roamed and rambled and I followed my footsteps Sparkling sands of her diamond deserts All around me, her voice was a-sounding 
This land was made for you and me. There was a big high wall there. Woody Guthrie, of course, with This Land is Your Land. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz Marston here with Jeff Simmons. Remember, WBAI can only bring you guests from the world of politics, public policy, music, culture, the arts, and more with your help. Go ahead, take a moment today. Support this station. Go to WBAI.org. Make a pledge to the BAI Buddies program. That is WBAI.org. Phone lines are open, 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. We are going to get to your calls in just a moment. But first, here is a very quick announcement about a wonderful event we have coming up on June 22nd. You won't want to miss this. Take a listen. Hey, good people. We got a special invitation for you. All you need to do is grab your dancing shoes and join WBAI and Afrobeat Radio for an evening of West African music, funk, jazz, and soul as we go live with Othello's Lounge from Lagos, the musical capital of Nigeria. It's going down Thursday, June 22nd from 7 to 11 at SOB's downtown Manhattan. It's going to be an Afrobeat celebration to benefit none other than WBAI Radio. All you have to do for tickets is call 212-209-2950 and ask for those SOB tickets or go to give to WBAI.org. We can't wait to see you there. And we're going to take a few calls. I know we've got a few callers on the line. If you just tuned in, this is Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. We've been talking about asylum seekers and homelessness in New York City, so we want to hear your calls. We want to hear your thoughts. Let's get to that first call. You are on the air with Celeste and me, Jeff Simmons. What is your name? Where are you from? And what's on your mind? Hey, it's Roger from New Milford, Jeff. Hey, Roger. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Hey, listen, the classic economic problem is limited resources with unlimited needs. It's a resource allocation question. Do we want to spend $100 billion on helping our own people, or do we want to spend it fighting a proxy war in Ukraine? Do we want to invite asylum seekers from all over the world, which I agree with. I had relatives that were asylum seekers. But they came in through a procedure. We can't. We have to take care of our own people first. I understand Mayor Adams is making a proposal to have residents who have some room in their homes take in an asylum seeker, and the state or the city would give a stipend. And I was wondering if uh, your guest is taking advantage of that program, or if anybody in his organization is taking in some of these asylum seekers. It's a, it's a great question, Roger. Thank you so much for your call. Thank you for all your calls all the time. Really appreciate your, your dedicated listenership. I'm sorry to say that our guest is no longer with us, but uh, that's something that we might be able to follow up with. But we do appreciate it. We're going to move on to our next caller, 212-209-2877. Keep calling. If you're on hold, stay on hold, 212-209-2877. This is Driving Forces. We're talking about New York and asylum seekers. Going back to the phones, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your Name, where you're calling from, and what's on your mind today? Hi, I'm Deanne. I'm from um, Brooklyn. I'm wondering why I can't get through to BAI in the morning and early afternoon. 
it's not what you're asking about, but I just I haven't been able to tune into my regular morning shows. Oh, that's What's interesting. Okay, on? we I just can get static when I tune you in. Ah, oh, oh, but, but you couldn't can... because Celeste sometimes leaves the phone off the hook. Yeah, that's why. That's why, Jeff. Uh, this is the, the Jeff and Celeste Comedy Hour. But thank you, Dion. We can make a, a note of it, and we can ask the uh, the program director to, to check on that. But we definitely appreciate your calls, and we appreciate you listening to the program. Thank you so much. And if you want to call in, 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. If you are on hold, we're going to try to get to as many people as we can. Going back to the phone. It's WBAI. You're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? And what do you think about immigration today? Uh, yes, hi. Uh, this is Arnold from Queens. Hi, uh, Basically, hi. Uh, well, I want to thank you for having me. Uh, basically, uh, Kathy Huckle's non-response to the migrant situation, it, I think it just exposes her racism uh, toward uh, the people in New York City who are mostly uh, black and brown people. And uh, for her not, you know, interfering, you know, with Adams, Mayor Adams trying to, uh, you know, send the migrants to upstate, I mean, you know, people have to question, you know, her motives. Uh, because I know that when she was the vice president of MTNT Savings, uh, MTNT Savings was, uh, was sued for racial discrimination was sued for racial discrimination while she was vice president. And then another point I want to, you know, I want to make, which is which is never really talked about, is that uh, most of the problems with the migrant issue is is the result of the United States, Central America, especially Venezuela, because uh, the United States has been trying to. Uh, you know, a brute of Venezuela's, uh, you know, proper government, you know, the, the duly elected government under Maduro, and they've been, like, trying to put in coups, like, like uh, led by Guaido. So, you know, so with this, uh, you know, with this, uh, you know, interference with Venezuela's government, uh, this is causing a migrant issue because, uh, because the uh, country... Mm. I mean, you know, is under constant harassment by the United States. So when you Thanks. have that, it's going to cause, you know, enough people in the country. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for for your call. Lots of interesting points there. Obviously, some criticism of the, the governor, Jeff. And I, I think that uh, he is not the only one who has a few things to say about the government response here. <laughs> Agreed. I know we want to squeeze in one more call. We've got one more caller on the line before we have to wrap up the show. So let's bring that caller on. Welcome to Driving Forces on WBAI. What's your name? What's on your mind? My name is Doris. And what's uh, what's on your mind? We've got about a minute left before we're going to have to start to wrap. Are you there? I'm here. Someone just called talking about not being able to hear programs after eight o'clock, and for the whole week that's been the case. So there's some I don't know what the problem is. Well, actually, uh, I'm glad that, that I'm glad that you brought that back up again. I know that Deanna had, uh, mentioned that earlier. Our uh, our engineer here, Reggie Johnson, lets us know that this might be because of maintenance to our transmitter. Ah, that's uh, right. We have we have made uh, there have been some announcement of this, but uh, perhaps we should just repeat that that if you're having trouble hearing the station, and we want to thank you 
from the bottom of our hearts for trying to tune in. Even sometimes when it's difficult, we periodically do have to do maintenance on that transmitter to get our signal out. So if you're having trouble hearing the program, uh, just be patient. Sometimes we have to fix this stuff. So uh, please, uh, please uh, keep that in mind. Thank you. And by the way, for those of you who are listening, just we're mentioning the transmitter. I'm sure you know if you're regular listeners of this show, it costs WBAI $17,000 a month to be able to broadcast from the top of four times square, which is why Celeste and I and all of your show hosts are asking you to support WBAI because it helps us pay the rent because the rent is too darn high. I'll say darn on the show. The number to call now, if you would like to donate, we'll give the number. So, you know, we don't want to give the listener call now because we're about to wrap up. That number is 212-209-2950. Or you can go to the WBAI website at WBAI.org to be able to donate. Absolutely. And really, you know, we're not asking for a lot here. If you can give $20 a month, you are doing your part to preserve WBAI's unique programs on politics, culture, music, arts, women's issues, gender, health, immigration, education, and much, much more. And if you are already giving, please think about giving a little more. Every dollar you give helps keep us on the air, keep these programs in rotation, fix our transmitter for since uh, we were talking about that this hour. But no kidding, you know, all kidding aside, really, the situation is urgent. We need your help. There is no WBAI without you. Don't assume somebody else is going to do it. Don't wait for somebody else to take the first step. Please go to WBAI.org today. Help us keep independent, independent media alive in New York. We want to thank our guests today, Gwyn Hogan of the City and David Giffen of the Coalition for the Homeless. Thanks to our engineer, Reggie Johnson. Thanks to you, our listeners and callers. And the biggest thanks, of course, to everybody who's going right now, right now, to WBAI.org to become a BAI buddy in the name of this show. Jeff, what do we have coming up? I also want to thank our listeners who called in, Roger, Deanna, Arnold, and I think that was Doris, if I heard her name correctly. I will be back this Sunday morning with City Watch at, t- at 8 a.m., We're going to have New York State Senator Kristen Gonzalez, the youngest woman elected to the Senate. She'll be joining us to discuss the successes and setbacks of this legislative session, which ends this week. I think it might have even ended today. Then joining us in the second half of the show will be actor and advocate Mark Ruffalo. We're going to talk with him about his advocacy on environmental issues and his support for a campaign to prevent the deed landmarking of a historic church. He will, and that is West Park Presbyterian Church on the Upper West Side. He will be joined by Reverend Derek McQueen. They're going to talk about their efforts to stop the uh, de-landmarking of this church, Celeste. If you missed any part of the program, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Please give us a good rating, and thank you again for going to WBAI.org to support this station. This has been Driving Forces with Celeste Katz, Marston, and Jeff Simmons. Now stay tuned to WBAI for some more great programming. See you on the radio.